Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Hi everyone, my name is Joe and I'm one of the leaders here. We're really glad that you're here. If this is your first time with us, I want to say welcome and thank you for coming. If this is maybe your second or third time with us, I want to say Thanks for coming back. We always love it when we have new people here. We love it that people come back after they've visited. And if you are visiting, maybe you don't know that something we do every week is open up the Bible and study it together. And the way we're going to do that tonight is by looking at the second week of our core values series. We began this series last week discussing the things that are, are foundational to what we do here at Renaissance. These are, these are the pillars or the things that we build everything else upon. And last week, Pastor Jeff began this series with our first, first core value, which is because of Jesus. Everything we do here is because of Jesus. Nothing else that we would do could matter. It all has to point us to him. He's the end result of all that we do. He's the reason for everything we do. He, in fact, provides us the energy to do everything that we do for him. It's all because of Jesus. And tonight, I want to talk about our second core value, which is growing people change. Growing people change. And to do that, I want to look at a passage in the Bible, and I want to study that passage and perhaps draw some things out of there to help us understand what it means that growing people change. So if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look up on the screens. We'll also put the words up there, or you can look underneath the seat around you, and there you'll find a hardback black Bible. And in that Bible, you can turn to page 914. That's where Acts chapter 6 is. But I want to give a little bit of a backdrop as to what's happening in Acts chapter 6. Before this moment, several weeks, maybe a few months before this, Jesus had been crucified. And three days after he was crucified, he was raised from the dead. And he appeared to his closest friends. We call them the disciples. And he said to them, listen, I'm going to go back to our Father in heaven. And when I'm there, I'm going to send to you my Holy Spirit. And when my Holy Spirit comes to you, he's going to embolden you and empower you to take the message of my truth and love and spread it around Jerusalem, the outlying regions. I want you to take the message of my truth to everyone you know. So Jesus goes back to heaven and 10 days later, his closest friends, his disciples and many other people were gathered together in a room praying. And just as Jesus promised, his Holy Spirit came to them and he gave them boldness and he gave them power to take his message and share the truth and love of Jesus with all who were in Jerusalem that day. 
And as time went on, the church began to grow. As people began to hear more of this message, more of the truth and love of Jesus, more people were becoming followers of Jesus, and the church continued to grow. And this brings us to where we are here. In Acts chapter 6, it says, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. The Hellenists would have been the Greek-speaking Jews who were in Jerusalem. A complaint by them arose against the Hebrew-speaking Jews because their widows were being neglected And the daily distribution. They'd come up with a system and put it in place to provide food and sustenance for the widows in their midst. And what was happening was that because there were more Hebrew-speaking Christians than there were Greek-speaking Christians at this time, it was easy for them to overlook the Greek-speaking Christians. You can imagine it this way. Maybe they said, I don't want to go to Ethel's house and drop off her meals on wheels because I can't understand a word that she's saying when I go there. And so it was easy for them to overlook these Greek-speaking Christians. And because of this, a complaint arose. And verse 2 says, the 12, these would be the 12 disciples, summoned the full number of the disciples. Everyone else who was a believer. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, listen, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, men who are full of the Holy Spirit, men who are wise, and we'll appoint them to this duty. But we... We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So they chose Stephen, a man who was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They chose a man named Philip and they chose some other guys. And they, <laughs> they set these men before the apostles and they laid their hands on them and prayed for them. And verse 7 says that the word of God continued to increase. The message of Jesus continued to spread around the city and the number of the disciples and the number of the followers of Jesus multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. We might say it this way, the church continued to grow and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A great many of the people who at one time, some weeks before this, were the very same people who ordered the execution of Jesus. They became followers of Jesus. Before we dive in too far, I want to take a moment and pause and pray and ask God to help us understand. We don't ever want to approach the Bible without asking God's help for us to understand what he's saying. So would you pray with me as we do that? Lord, I'm so thankful that you have given us the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would bring your Holy Spirit to us tonight to help us understand what the words are saying. I pray that as you do that, that as you put the words of the scriptures and the power of your Holy Spirit together that you would help us to see Jesus in it. I pray that you would show us more about your son tonight and help us to learn to love him more and to know what it means for us that that we must change as we grow. Help us to see that, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a little kid, I could not wait to grow up and become an adult. I couldn't wait until I had the, the restraints of childhood broken off of me. I couldn't wait till all of the rules that I had to deal with as a child were gone and so that I could become an adult and do whatever I wanted, which was what I imagined adulthood was like. I always had this idea that I would have any kind of car that I wanted to drive. For some reason, it was a 77 Chevy Nova. I don't know why. And I always imagined that as an adult, I would walk around in a smoking jacket all of the time. I don't know why, but that's what my picture of adulthood was like when I was a little kid. 
And then I became an adult and I realized that all of that time I spent as a child wishing that I could get out of childhood. Now I look back and say, I wish I could get out of adulthood and become a child again. The responsibilities of adulthood are are harder rules and regulations that you follow as a child. But all of life changes as we grow. I'm realizing that as I get older, my body is changing. I turned 32 this year and, and Even though I'm 32, in my mind, I'm still 22. (laughs) And some of you would probably say, we we thought you acted like you were 16, Joe. But in my mind, I'm still much younger than I actually am. And so I think that I can still do all the things that I could do when I was 22, like stay up till 2 a.m. and then get up at 6 to go to work. (laughs) Or stay up all night long and act like nothing happened and continue on with my day. I still think I can do those things, but I'm confronted continually with the limitations of my body that says, no, no, no. And when I try to behave as though I'm still 22, my body goes into mutiny. And I experience these things now that are called body aches when you get up out of bed in the morning. For the first time since I was a child recently, I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. So it begins. When I'm 22 years old, if I wake up at 3 a.m. and I got to go to the bathroom, I'm laying in bed and holding it until morning. I did not have that option recently. Some of you have told me that the older that I get, that will be the only time that I can't go to the bathroom is when I have to go to the bathroom. Our bodies change as we grow. Our our bodies get different and we become different. And in fact, this change as we grow older is important and necessary, in fact, because I had to adapt to my age. If I still had the same mindset that I had when I was a child, adulthood would be foolish. I would go into the candy aisle at the store and buy all of the Snickers bars on the shelf. And I would be judged for that, rightly so. We cannot take the same mindset that we had as a child into adulthood. As we grow, we have to change. And this is a reality for every sphere of life. It's true that growing people change. It's also true that growing families change. Many of you are new parents this past year, and you realize that you can no longer do the same things that you used to be able to do. You can no longer go hang out with your friends like you used to be able to do because you have another person at home that you have to take care of. Someone else is now taking priority over them and you don't get to get to be selfish anymore because other people are in your life that you have to take care of. Maybe some of you are newly married this past year and you realize the same thing. I can't stay out till two in the morning because my wife would be upset with that. As we grow, we have to change. We have to change the things that we do, and we have to change our mindsets. We have to be willing to adapt into the growth that's happening in our life. Growing people change is is one of our core values here for this very reason, because we believe that growth and change are good because things that are healthy grow, and things that are healthy change over time. Growing people change is very helpful for us to realize that, that when I stumble, when I, when I sin, when I fail, when I mess up, I can have patience for myself. I can have grace for myself because I know I'm still growing. 
I'm still growing and every step I take is one step closer to becoming more like Jesus. Is one more step of change and transformation into becoming more like Jesus. It also helps us to have patience and grace for the people around us. The people in the room that you might be thinking of and don't look around for them. But maybe you're thinking of someone who you're like, that person always annoys me. Don't say any names. But when we think of the things that they do that rub us the wrong way, when we remember that growing people change, it helps us to have patience for them and grace with them and realizing that because they're still a growing person, over time they can change. Now, what if they never do change? That's okay because maybe God wants to use how they rub me the wrong way. Maybe he wants to use that to change me. So I don't have the option of not getting to grow just because I feel annoyed or upset with someone who will not change. Now, I've always approached this phrase, growing people change, from an individual perspective and thought of it like this, a growing person changes. But this time around, I began to think of it differently. And I began to think of the phrase, growing people change, in the same way we might say, growing groups of people change. Or we might say it like this, growing churches change. And I can tell you this, in the time that I've been here at Renaissance, many things have changed over these past few years. Many things have changed as growth has taken place. Renaissance doesn't look the same as it did when it was in Jeff and Stacy's living room as a Bible study. I would argue that if it still looked the same, the church would not have grown. Renaissance doesn't look the same as it did when we met in the Arts Council building a few blocks down the street. It doesn't look the same as it did when we only had one service on Sunday nights. It doesn't look the same as it did when we only had two services on Sundays. Renaissance has changed as it has grown. We've changed the way we serve communion. We used to set up tables in the back of the room and put platters of Hawaiian bread on them. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> and we would surround the Hawaiian bread with shot glasses of grape juice. It was the greatest thing. And during worship, you could get up, you could leave your seat, and you could go to the table, and you could take Hawaiian bread and a shot glass of grape juice, and you could have a moment of communion at your leisure, and you could come and sit back down. And if you wanted seconds, it was okay to go back for. But as the church has grown, we've had to change the way we do communion. And we're probably going to change it again because the church keeps growing and we have to adapt to meet the present needs that are coming our way. This is exactly what is happening in Acts chapter 6. The church is growing and problems arise and they realize we have to change some things in order to continue to grow. Verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose. The church was growing so quickly. And they were doing all that they could to accommodate that growth. You might say things like this. They were adding overflow rooms to help people find a place to sit. They were adding extra services to accommodate people. They were putting TVs in the hallways and in the bathrooms. Maybe we'll do that one day to help people have a place where they can watch the service at any moment. They were doing all that they could, but there were still things that were happening that were causing people to complain. For them, the only thing that we get mentioned here is that some of the widows were being neglected. But I wonder what other complaints may have arisen Complaints like this, I, I had to wait a really long time to go to the bathroom. 
or I came in late and I couldn't find a seat. We don't always experience that on Sunday evening, but if you're here at Sunday morning, if you get here five minutes early, you're already 10 minutes late. There's no place to sit. I wonder if they begin to complain about, I don't want to sit next to that person. I don't want to have to be in the room with that person. I wonder what all kinds of complaints began to arise because anytime you get a bunch of people in a room, specifically church people in a room, complaints arise. Now, I've been in church leadership in some form for much of my adulthood, and I can tell you, I've heard a lot of complaints from church people. And I like to pick on church people a little bit, but I think that's okay because I am a church people. Now, if I hear somebody who's not a church people picking on church people, I'm like, those are my people. You better stand down. But I will take shots all day because I am one. And I can tell you that complaints arise amongst church people. But I can also say this, that complaining and feeling uncomfortable about large groups of people or people around you, complaints are not unique to the church. In fact, complaining is common to humanity. In every place you go where there are groups of people, you will hear people complaining. You will hear people upset. In line at the grocery store, you'll hear the guy behind you mad because the line's not moving fast enough. Or what about an appointment at the doctor's office where you've already been there for two hours and now the room is full and you're surrounded by people that you don't like them and they don't love you and now you have to sit in this small room with them for the next two hours until your doctor comes out to see you and you begin to complain. How about this? When you go to the movie theater, you sit down and you're excited to be able to rest your elbows on the armrests. And then someone wants to sit on either side of you and push your elbows off. These are easy things for us to want to complain about. Complaints are not common to the church. But what makes the church unique about our differences is that we really don't get the option to complain about one another. We're urged, maybe even commanded, to put up with each other, to live with each other no matter our differences, to find a way to feel comfortable in our uncomfortability, to embrace the discomfort we feel with the people around us. This is what makes the church unique. And here's why. Because that guy who's griping behind you in the line at the store, you're never going to see him again unless he's your husband, in which case I'm really sorry for you, ma'am. But... If we're here in the church and we come across someone that we just don't like, we don't get the option to brush that off. We have to deal with it. And perhaps God has set it up that way so that he can use those things that rub us the wrong way to change us and to make us more like his son, Jesus. The reality was that some of these Hebrew-speaking Christians were never going to learn to speak Greek. Some of us are never going to learn to speak Democrat. Some of us are never going to learn to speak Republican. But we're all part of the same family. And we have to find a way to sit together and, and get over our differences for the sake of our love for Jesus. Because that's what makes the church unique. That's what will stand out in a world that is divided on one side or the other. Is the uniqueness of a group of people who in spite of their differences can still love each other. No matter what. This is what's commanded of us in the scriptures. 
This is what they had to deal with as the church was growing. And as the church was growing, of course, it experienced many different growing pains. And these growing pains were that their widows were being neglected. And there's not a week that goes by that, that the staff here at the church doesn't wonder and, and think about and worry about people who come into the building, who, who leave as soon as they walk in and realize that they don't have a comfortable place to sit. There's not a week that goes by that, that we don't worry about people that we haven't seen in weeks because we wonder, why aren't they here? Have they not been here because they haven't had a place to sit? What made them uncomfortable? can tell you one of the growing pains I experience is that I have trouble remembering everyone's name. Someone asked me not long ago, Joe, what's your dream for Renaissance? What's your dream for the church? And I said, I just want to know people's names. That's my dream for the church. And it pains me that I don't know everyone's name. It pains me that sometimes I have to say, hey man, and someone came up to me this morning and someone whose name I know and said, hey Joe, what's my name? And I drew a blank instantly, instantly, because I don't have the intellectual capacity to contain it all. And as much as I hate it, as much as Pastor Jeff hates it and Stacey hates it, as much as we would love to know everyone's names, and quite frankly, as much as it keeps us up at night sometimes because we don't know everyone's names, I would argue that we probably shouldn't know everyone's name. Now, this might rub up against some ideas that we have about what church leadership and ministry or clergy, as it's sometimes called, has meant for many years in the church. And there, for a long time, has been a distinction between the people who are in church leadership and everyone else in the church. And there is in some places an idea that the hired holy man, we'll call him, has all of God's truth and is able to dispense that to the people in the room, has all the potential and capability for ministry, has all of the ability to do God's work. And everyone else comes along and cheers him or her along and says, good job, keep going, keep doing the ministry. But I will say that that distinction is man-made, is not biblical. The Bible tells us that every one of us who believes in Jesus is a priest to God. Every one of us who believes in Jesus has the potential to minister to those around us. Everyone who believes in and follows Jesus is filled with his spirit and is capable of sharing his truth and his love with everyone around us. You don't have to have a Bible degree to do so. You don't have to have a job at a church to do so. You just have to have faith in Jesus to do so. And your faith in Jesus, my faith in Jesus, qualifies us to minister to people. There's nothing more that we need. There's no, no other requirement that the Bible lays upon us to be able to lead people into God's truth. This distinction is man-made. We all get to be part of God's workforce. All of us. Every Sunday, Pastor Jeff Myself, we get up here, when we go to speak, we introduce ourselves as one of the leaders here. And that's intentional, that we don't say pastors, because in our culture, there's instantly something that comes into your mind when you think of a pastor. And sometimes that title can seem to, in our psyches, elevate that person above everyone else in the room. And I can say this, that there is no difference between me and anyone else in the rest of the room, except for this. Most of you are probably better people than I am. 
The only difference that we have, I don't have anything that qualifies me to be a better minister or teacher of the gospel than you do. The only difference between us is our occupations. We have different jobs. Some of you work at the grocery store. Some of you work in a restaurant. Some of you work in healthcare. I happen to work in a church. We just have different jobs, different occupations. And that that is what makes us different. So then we look at our spheres of influence wherever we work or perhaps in our family or our close friend groups. And we look at those spheres of influence and we ask ourselves, how can I be a minister of the truth and the love of Jesus where I am. For me, I have to examine what does that look like for me as an employee of the church. For you, you need to think about what that looks like you as an employee at your workplace or as a student or as a father or a mother or a brother or a sister. Think about what that means in your sphere of influence because there is potential to reach people all around you. You don't have to have some special title to make you qualified to reach people with the truth of who Jesus is. You just believe in Jesus. The question might arise then, what then is the role of church leadership? What is the purpose of me even having a job at the church? And I'm really glad you asked. The Bible would tell us that there is a specific role for pastors and teachers and leaders in the church. In verse 4 here, Peter stands up and says that, that his job, his role was to, to vote himself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. He said, I'm going to pray and I'm going to teach the truth of Jesus. That is my job. And over time, as the church continued to grow, it began to change and adapt other methods of church leadership. And in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, we learn that Jesus has gifted churches, the various congregations that sprung up over the world, the various congregations that continue to spring up, that he, he has placed in those churches church leadership for the specific, specific role of equipping the saints, Ephesians 4.12 says, to do the work of the ministry, equipping God's people to do his work. We might say it like this, furnishing God's people to do his work. When you think about it like this, if you've got a new place, a new house, perhaps a new apartment, and maybe you have no furniture yet to move in there, before it actually becomes home, you have to put furnishings in it. And so you go get a new couch, you go get new utensils, you go get new dishes and you bring them in and this place becomes home because you've furnished it. That is what that word equip means. It's the role of church leadership to furnish or provide tools to God's workforce so that God's workforce, those of us who believe in Jesus can understand how to best minister to the people around us. What are some of those ways that we do that here at Renaissance? For some of you, the most important one that we do that is what we're doing right now. It's that every week we open up the Bible and we study it. And we're very intentional about the way that we do that. In fact, we try to go contextually through a passage so that we can look at a passage from different angles. And so that we can get a good idea of what maybe what the Bible's actually saying. And our, our goal in this is to never to teach you everything that this passage has to say. I've only got 40 minutes total tonight. I don't get the opportunity to say everything I want to say about Acts chapter 6. But here's our hope, is that as we study the Bible this way, in many of you, your curiosity would be piqued. 
And you would wonder, well, this word stood out to me as we were reading tonight at church. And and Joe didn't mention anything about that. Maybe I should go home and study it a little bit deeper. That is our hope that, that in this moment when we're teaching the Bible, that you would become desirous to go and read more of it on your own. For some of you, the most important thing we do to furnish you with the ability to minister to people around you is the worship experience that we have. We try really hard to create an experience where you can come in and worship Jesus, where you can sing songs to him, where you can focus your attention on Jesus without distraction. And we know, and we do that because we believe in those moments when people are in that place, when we're in that place where we're worshiping Jesus and our thoughts are focused on him, that is very often in those places where people realize that he's true where people see that he's actually real, where people believe that he actually rose from the dead. And because those moments are so important to us, we've set those up as a way to furnish us and prepare us and encourage us to continue to go on so that tomorrow, what we felt today will come with us and we'll carry it into the places that we work or the people that we interact with. Additionally, every Sunday in the annex, every Sunday morning, Jack and Meg and Kristen and Megan, the youth and children's workers here at Renaissance, are furnishing, they're equipping the children at Renaissance to know who Jesus is and to be able to minister to other people and teach them about who Jesus is. This happens every week. And this is so important because in 20 years, most of those kids are going to be worshiping Jesus in our main room. Some of those kids are going to be teaching the Bible from the platform. And we're preparing for our future by furnishing those kids today. For many of us, there are different on-roads and how we'll get on to what God wants us to do. How we can look at the way that he, he wants to furnish us. What, what does he want to use that the church is doing? What does he want to use for us to draw closer to him and have more understanding of how we can do ministry in this earth? Four years ago or so, we'd had a, a leaders meeting here at the church. And the church was about 100 people at the time. And at this leaders meeting, there were about 30 people there. And... It was actually just every volunteer, and we just called it a leaders meeting. So every volunteer came together. And after the meeting, we were chit-chatting, Pastor Jeff and I, and we're sitting right about there. And he turns to me, and he goes, mind you, the church is about 100 people at the time. And he goes, do you think we could lead a church of 500 people? And I said, no. I don't, Jeff. I don't. And he said, I think we can. I think we can do it. And, and here we are now, four years later, a, a church of 650 people. And I'm like, well, I guess we have to come to grips with that, whether we like it or not. This is what has happened. But as the church continues to grow, and as we look to making more space for more people, the real question that we're asking ourselves at the staff, and that I will now pose to all of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, is this. Can we lead a church of 1,200 people? And my initial reaction is, no, we can't. But you know who thinks we can? is Pastor Jeff. You know who else thinks we can? I believe who thinks we can? is Jesus. 
I think that's why he keeps sending people to Renaissance because he believes we have the potential and the capability to lead more people, to minister to more people. All of us have the ability to minister to more people and to show them the truth and love of Jesus. But if we're really going to answer that question, can we lead a church of 1,200 people? We have to ask ourselves a few other questions to help us be sure that we really can lead. And we have to ask ourselves things like this. Can we serve a church of 1,200 people? Can we love a church of 1,200 people? Could we forgive a church of 1,200 people? If we can say yes to those things, then the answer to can we lead a church of 1,200 people is yes, because that's what leaders do. Leaders serve. They love. They forgive. They stand up when everybody else wants to sit down, and they continue going because we believe and we know that Jesus is on our side, and he's helping us, and he wants more people to know his truth. So can we do it? I believe that we can. I think we can, and I think God wants to use us to do that. But if we're going to do that, each one of us has to take a step in growth. Each one of us has to continue growing as individuals. And for all of us, the next step looks very different. My next step looks different than your next step. And from your next step, we each have a different next step to take. And so I'm going to throw a few ideas out there that might help some of us flesh out what our next step is. For some of us, the next step we could take is that we could start coming to church more frequently. Perhaps it's just a part of your your month. Like you try to make it to church once a month or every other week. But if you have the time, the importance of being able to gather with other people and hear the Bible being taught and experience a moment of worship to Jesus is so profound and helpful to us that if that is not a part of your life, I would encourage you to maybe take that as your next step. And maybe that is you. Maybe you are at church every Sunday, and that's wonderful. Well, then maybe your next step could be like me, that you need to spend more time studying the Bible. Now, I've never said to anyone whose life is in pain or their life is a mess, I've never turned to them and said this, well, your life is a mess because you just need to be reading the Bible more. I've never said that, and I don't think it's helpful to people, actually. Do you know what I know is true? If you say to me that you want to grow in your faith and that you want to become more capable in your ministry to other people and you tell me that you're not willing to read the Bible, I question whether or not you actually want to serve others with the truth and love of Jesus. If we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to go to this book. We have to look at its words and understand what God says about his son, Jesus. And from that place, that will furnish us with the tools necessary to reach people with his truth. But maybe that is you too. Maybe you are at church every Sunday. Maybe you do read the Bible frequently, maybe even every day. Well, perhaps then the next step for you is to join a Ren group, join a small group, get involved with other people. Get involved with other people that you can bounce the things you're reading off of. None of us should be studying, reading, learning the truth of the Bible in a vacuum. If I look into the Bible and I find something in there that no one has ever seen before, it's probably not true. (laughs) 
It's probably not true. There are 2,000 years of Christians who've been studying this book behind us. And if I'm the first person to figure something out, something's wrong with the world. And so the only way to know this is that we get in a group of other people who are also reading the Bible, who also want to know Jesus, and we bounce our ideas off of them. And if we say something like this, I was reading this in the book of Acts, and this thing jumped out at me, and I wonder if it's true. And if everyone in the room says, you're cray, then you're probably cray. But you wouldn't know that if you weren't in a group of other people. We have to have other people to help us to see and understand whether or not what we're reading and learning and believing is true. But maybe you're already doing all of that. Maybe you're already growing in those ways. Maybe that's already part of your experience. Well, maybe then, maybe your next step is that you begin volunteering at church. You begin serving. We set up Loving People Serve next week, our last core value, where we'll talk about the importance of that and how important it is to serve one another and be like Jesus. Maybe that is the next step you need to take. Maybe that's what you do is you volunteer to go work in kids on Sunday. Maybe you volunteer to go furnish the students, the children of this church and prepare for our future. Maybe it looks like that. I don't know. We're all in different places and we're all going to get a moment here pretty soon to, to pray and ask God if he would show us what our next step is. We're all going to get to take that opportunity. The band's going to come back in a moment. I want to encourage us that during that time, maybe you want to take a few moments to pray and ask Jesus, what is my next step? And maybe it's none of the things I've mentioned, but maybe it is. And you can find ways to, to get on the ramp. If you want to come and talk to me about that, you're welcome to do that. would love to pray with you and help you through that and, and maybe, maybe be able to determine what your next step is. Before we go on to that, though, I want to stop at verse 7 here because it says, The word of God continued to increase. The message of Jesus continued to spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The church continued to grow because they were willing to adapt to their growth, because they were willing to change, because they were willing to flex into the pressing needs that were coming their way, the church continued to grow. And what blows me away is this last sentence where it says a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I mentioned earlier that these priests were the same people who weeks before ordered the execution of Jesus. They cried out that he should be crucified. They cried out that they didn't want anything to do with him. And in this moment, because the church was willing to change as it grew, they were now crying out to God in faith because the church was changing, because it was making space for the needs that were coming their way. These priests were some of the most religious and cruel people that existed at that time. And if you know me very well, you know this about me, that I, I don't play well with religious people. Uh, there's a reason why I don't play well with religious people. It's, it's because I used to be one. And some of you who know me really well would probably say this, well, Joe, you sure did swing far in the opposite direction from being religious. But I can tell you this, the first time I ever came to Renaissance, 
I visited on a Sunday night and I had a great time. And I thought to myself, you know, I could probably make this home. This could, this could probably become home for me. I, I really think that. But at the time, I was still a very religious person. I had very, very specific ideas about what church should look like. I had very specific ideas about rules and the way that we would honor the place of worship that we would be in. And I happened to see in the back of the room that someone left their empty cup of coffee on the floor. And I became very upset at that. Not because they forgot to throw it away. That's not a big deal. I became upset with it because the first thought that came to my mind was, I can't believe someone would bring a drink into this room and drink in this room where we worship Jesus. Isn't that ridiculous? Isn't that crazy? And I took that cup and I walked over to the trash can and as I was about to throw it away, I am certain the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if you're going to grow here at this church, you have got to change. And so I threw away my cup with my religion and said, okay, no more. No more. Jesus, I'm going to allow you to free me of that silly, ridiculous religious mindset that helps no one, that in fact would push people out of God's kingdom. And I'm going to let you change me. I'm going to be like one of these priests who'd become obedient to the faith. When I read this and it says the priest became obedient to the faith, I see that God, that Jesus can rescue the most unlikely people. And I know that he can do that because he rescued me. Many of us can think about people that we know who are very religious and vindictive or perhaps are very sinful. Maybe we even are those people and we're wondering if there's any hope for us whatsoever. This little sentence here that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith is proof that anyone can change. Jesus can change anyone. He can use anyone. Would you stand as we pray? Lord, I'm so thankful that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit who acts as a comforter for us, who acts as the one who comes alongside of us in times of great sorrow and says, I'm here with you. He comes alongside of us when we feel like we're alone and he says, you're never alone. Who reminds us of the words of Jesus who said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm so thankful that that is the person that we are calling out to tonight. It's you, Lord. You're the one who can come and heal every wound in our hearts. You're the one who can come and heal every sadness, every sorrow that we experience. And beyond that, Lord, you can, you can take everything that we've gone through, everything that we've experienced, every sorrow, even every sadness, and you can then use them to mold us and shape us, to make us more like your son, Jesus, and then teach us how we can lead other people to you, the comforter, the one who gives us the truth, the one who gives us hope for the future. I pray that you would do that tonight for us, Lord, as we look to you and sing to you in worship. Help us to see you for who you really are, the one who looks down in compassion 
and love and wraps us in his arms of comfort. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.